irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I am waving at the camera right now. This is just my second show doing a video recording of my podcast here, All Things Therapy. I'm trying to get more comfortable in front of a camera. I am grateful for all of you who are listening and all of you who are watching and will be watching. Please subscribe to this show on iTunes, on Google Play, iHeartRadio. There's a YouTube channel as well, NOLA Therapy, which is my website. I'd love to hear from you as my listening audience. Reach out. Several of you have, and you're coming on my show as my guest. I would love to connect and and just have a dialogue on this show about what it is you're doing to make this world a better place for us emotionally, psychologically, physically, spiritually. Those are all of my passions. And I wanted to share a little about my day. I had kind of an interesting, rough start to the morning, and it was the kind of of morning and afternoon coming here to the studio where as I left my apartment, I was like, oh my gosh, do I have pants on? Have I traded out my slippers for shoes? And, And I think it's what all of us experience from one time or another where we're just busy and emails are coming through and text messages are coming through, and I felt almost like I'm floating above myself and and really ungrounded. So I made it a point before I came to the studio to take four minutes to do a guided meditation to bring myself back to this moment. And I know now there's a lot of talk about mindfulness and, and what is mindfulness anyway. And just very simply, mindfulness is being in this present moment right now, fully present without judging whatever is arising in your body, in your mind, and just using your breath. If you just want to inhale with me and let it go. And just really grounding and centering and right now. I find it helpful to even touch the desk, touch myself. Just okay, Lisa, I'm right here. It's okay, slow down. And I found myself just needing to do that before I came to the studio so that I can be present with you and present with my guest. So as my sponsor, Audible, I just want to give them a a shout out. I want you to receive a free audiobook download of your choice. Simply go to audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy and take advantage of that offer that they gift you through my show. Today, we are going to be speaking with Lauren Schneider. She's also a licensed clinical social worker, and she's a nationally recognized expert and authority on children's grief. She has provided trainings for mental health clinicians, educators, clergy members, health care providers, and graduate students since she got her MSW at USC, I just learned a few moments ago, and she feels like this work that she does is a calling to work with people that have survived grief. And she is the clinical director of child and adolescent programs for Our House Grief Support Center based here in Los Angeles. There are three locations 
and our house provides supportive services, grief support services in particular, to children, adolescents, and adults. We're going to hear all about this today. And Lauren, welcome, and thank you for being my guest. Well, thanks for having me, Lisa. I feel really grateful to you for this opportunity. You're so welcome. How how are you today? I'm good. I had a similar rough start to my morning. I went and purchased something at Ralph's and then left it and didn't realize that I had left it behind until I had driven away from the store. So that was nice to have that little meditation for a moment. Thank you. I think you. a lot of people do have that experience. I, I think your that example is exactly of what life is like for so many of us. I think a lot of the day... In, until we give ourselves permission to just slow down and, and even look around us. Were, were you able to retrieve your, your item from Ralph? I was, I was. And and luckily for me, that was just a minor thing. But, you know, it just reminds me, um, you know, when people, like the people that we serve at our house have all experienced a death of someone very close to them. And there's nothing like that experience to make you really appreciate um, appreciate life and the people that you have in your life. And we're a volunteer-based organization. We're able to serve in with direct service like in the grief support groups that we offer because of volunteers that lead our groups. So if we served um, a thousand adults and a thousand children last year, um, that was because of our volunteers. And one of the things that they tell us that they they get out of um, their volunteer experience is that it helps them appreciate um, life and appreciate the people um, in their lives, you know, and helps them be more present in their life. Yes. So when I started to learn about our house grief support center, I learned that you all have over 450 trained volunteers. Can you tell us about your volunteer program and sure. how you serve if someone's interested of, you know, in becoming a volunteer, et cetera? Yeah, it, it takes, it really takes a very special person to volunteer at our house. Um, it's not your typical experience where you're, you know, um, stuffing envelopes and that type of thing. Our volunteers um, work uh, pretty much year-round. They get trained um, to co-lead a support group either for adults who are grieving um, a death of a, a partner, spouse, a parent, or a child, or a sibling, or in our ch- in our children's program, they would be co-leading a group of kids um, for kids who had had a parent die or a sibling or another close relative, either in one of our offices or at a school site where we offer groups um, in public schools throughout L.A. County. And they do this. Um, they do the, this because they want to give back to the community. And they provide very, very high-quality services um, and are supervised by our staff. So we're very, very grateful for our volunteers and very proud. And um, some of our programs, like our school program, is an evidence-based program. We we do pre and post um, tests um, 
on um, with our group members, and then we we run the results uh, and get an analysis, a statistical analysis that shows that the group is highly effective. So when you were saying a few moments ago about volunteers co-lead groups, who are they co-leading with? They're, they co-lead with each other. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So the, the training is very intensive. They're taught, um, first they're taught um, theoretical information about how either adults grieve or how children grieve. And then they're taught communication skills, how to, how to listen effectively, how to help the group members express their grief in a, in a deeper way than you do in a casual conversation. And, but it's not therapy. We don't provide any mental health services at our house, only grief support. So um, the volunteers, though, are helping the group members expe- express their thoughts and feelings in a very, in a very deep way an intimate way in their groups and it, it they're talking about things that are very taboo that are not talked about in their um, everyday relationships with best friends or with family members and so that's what the grave what the grievers are craving is somebody to share their experience with because they're missing that in their in their natural support systems so um, the length of the time for the groups varies. Um, some uh, Our school groups last for 10 weeks, so that's a shorter commitment if a volunteer is leading a school group versus a someone who works in one of our, our offices. They might lead a group that lasts for 18 months or, or two years even. Oh, wow. That's really substantial mm-hmm. and long-term. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's Some of our group leaders have been with us for ten years, and they they the the group doesn't stay together that long. But they'll stay with one group, and then they'll start another group. But and if you're with the same child or adult for a few, you know, a year and a half or so, you can really see them moving through their grief process and um, coming from, you know, a very life changing, very very dark place in their life um, and then returning back to who they were before the death and sometimes even moving past who they were before to a really good new place in their life. I think what you're saying is important and, and I'd like to just have a conversation for our listeners around defining what grief even is and and okay. after the death, death of a loved one, how children might de- grieve differently than adults. You're an author of two books on children's grief. Can can you talk to us about these things? Sure. I well one of the one of the hardest things for adults it um to do or parents especially caregivers is to see a child in pain. And so if if a family member dies and the child is is grieving, the adult um, may feel like their child needs to be in therapy right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will get calls like right after a death. And really what a child needs immediately after is they just need, um, they need support from their family. 
in the immediate aftermath of the death. They need all the focus to be on them, just to help them know that they're safe and cared for and and that the surviving members of their family are going to be there for them to help them get through this. But after a few months, um, when the initial shock wears off, it is very helpful helpful for a child to see that they're not the only one who's had a loved one die. Um, they may feel like the, that they're the only one at school because at school, kids are not walking around saying, oh, guess what? My dad died or guess what? My sister died. Right. They're very private and don't want to talk about it at school because they're afraid that if they talk about it, they might get too sad and start crying. Mm-hmm. And the last thing a kid wants to do is start crying at school. Right. You know, then they instantly become the target for bullies. They get teased. They get ostracized. They don't get included in games or invited to parties if they look sad or different from other children. There's a lot so, of pressure um, upon them. You know, it, it's a very big problem. So they hide their grief when they're at school, and they they also don't want to share their feelings at home with the adult members of their family because they see that the adults are already burdened by their own sadness. And um, so they end up grieving alone most of the time. So what we, what, what I like, my, one of my main messages is that we don't want kids to grieve alone. Um, we want them to have an opportunity to be part of a grief support group or a camp like the camp that we offer, which is Camp Aaron, yes. um, so that they can be with a peer group who are going through a similar thing. They can share their thoughts and feelings with the other kids their own age who who can really relate, and then they're not isolated, and their feelings are normalized, and they can also learn ways to cope. You know, you mentioned Camp Aaron, and, and mm-hmm. Camp Aaron is, has been the subject of an Emmy Award-winning film. Can you talk to us about Camp Aaron and, and sure. who is served and how kids can get involved? Sure. We just finished our 10th summer as the Los Angeles provider for Camp Aaron. Camp Aaron is a national, um, it's a national camp that's offered, uh, I think there are 46 camps in the network in the country and in Canada. And um, as I said, this was our 10th summer doing it here in Los Angeles. Um, our house also has a camp in Orange County, a Camp Aaron um, we do two sessions here in Malibu every summer, and um, in 2012, HBO and a um, uh, filmed a documentary at our camp called One Last Hug, Three Days at Grief Camp, and it was a very, very close, um, you know, close-up, intimate um, film that we made with the family's permission of what goes on at our camp. And it was beautifully done, very respectfully done, um, that shows how kids actually will talk about their thoughts and feelings with people that um, are open to that conversation, who know how to 
listen and respond um, in a way that encourages kids to talk about their grief. And the film did um, did go on to win best children's best children's program for inner, let's see. It was 2014-15 season. We won the Emmy for the film. Congratulations! So it was it was very it was nice winning winning the Emmy because when you become a social worker like you and I, you don't ever think you're going to be part of a project that goes on to win an Emmy. But the the most important thing about having that film is it, it's been seen now by well over a million people Amazing. and. That just means that the message, the original intent of the of the filmmakers, was to let people know that camps like this exist, mm-hmm. and that children need an opportunity, like I was saying earlier, to be part of a group um, process so that they aren't grieving alone. And the film really beautifully portrays that. Beautiful. And yeah. You can still see it uh, if if you have um, HBO um, in the documentary section on HBO.go. It can be purchased also from the HBO store. Okay, great. And, yeah, and I think Amazon, um, I think it can be purchased from Amazon also. And I'm sure it can be Googled also to, to find out where to be able to watch it. Yeah, One Last Hug, Three Days at Grief Camp is what it's called. You know, when you were talking, Lauren, about children and how complex it is for them to be in school and not announcing, not wanting to be perceived as different because they are grieving a loss and just containing that that sadness and how hard hard that is for a young one to contain that, Mm -hmm. that sadness. I have seen in my practice as well that that sometimes kids might be overlooked or even forgotten when a death happens that the adults uh-huh. them the adults themselves are so caught up in arrangements and be it funeral arrangements and just how their own lives have have changed immediately sometimes or in in with a long illness and then a death that follows just how kids can often go under the radar and suffer really mm-hmm. silently, I think. And um, yeah. can you speak to that? Like some of how, if someone listening knows of a child that's gone through a loss, a death, how they might be of support to that little one? Well, we were, I was actually just talking about that with some of my colleagues. And in a lot of families, it depends, you know, LA is, I don't mean to sound cliche, but it really is a true melting pot. There's so many different cultures mm-hmm. represented in the city and and in so many of those cultures, death is is really just something that's dealt with in the family. People don't go outside of the family to for services. Um, maybe if if someone is in a lot of pain, they might go to a clergy person for support. Um, you know, they don't, they they might not mention it even to the school mm, that wow. somebody had died. And, you know, which is, is really the opposite of what we're recommending. When, 
when someone calls us, one of the things that I say is be sure and let the school know when you're bringing your child back to school after the funeral, um, you know, that someone in the family has died and find out who the contact person at the school is going to be if your child needs to take a break from class. And this is true for high school age students as well, you know, because they're not going to be able to concentrate the way they could before this um, traumatic event occurred in their life. They're going to be preoccupied. They're going to have trouble concentrating. They're going to be overwhelmed by um, grief tsunamis, as I like to call them, um, that will, you know, unexpectedly overwhelm them during the school day. And they might need some support um, on uh you know, occasional or sometimes ongoing basis during during their their time that they're at school. So uh, an, a a grown up needs to help um, establish a, a a relationship with a school person um, and their child, so that can take place. And what and the reason that I'm saying this is because I talk to kids on a regular basis and find out from them that they're not talking necessarily to the people at home, like I said, because they're all grieving, that that in, in cases where it does work, they often say to me the one person that they did talk to was a teacher or it was the school counselor yeah. um, that really made a difference for them. So I would recommend to your listeners that that you do that. You call the school when the death happens. Uh, maybe somebody from school will even come to the funeral, which the kids love it when yes. someone from their school comes to the memorial service or to the funeral. And then that person check in regularly with the child and establish it, you know, a safe space for them to go when they need to take a break during the school day. It'll help them academically focus. And then um, if they're in a public school in L.A. County, they can call us if, if the school would like to arrange for us to come out and do one of our 10-week school program, um, school curriculum-based programs. That's fantastic. That's mm-hmm. really awesome. And you all have, it's three locations, West L.A., Koreatown, and then I'm blanking on the third. In Woodland Hills. Okay. In the San Fernando Valley. In Koreatown, we're doing um, groups for adults. And in Woodland Hills and in West L.A., we have groups um, year-round for adults and for children. You know, and, and, go on, and then I'll send okay. one. Oh, I was just going to say, we have a lot of satellite locations. We have a satellite location in the northeast San Fernando Valley. Um, we have different locations for um, for our Spanish language program, um, which operate in in um, spaces all um, all around the city. So people can just call us, and um, we can help them find a location that's convenient for them. And you all offer support groups in English and Spanish, I learned, which I thought was fantastic. Right, right. 
and so important in Los Angeles. Um, kids groups, we're doing um, almost 100% in English. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, a school will ask for a Spanish language group because they have a lot of new new immigrant children at their school, you know, very new to the country, and they might have they might even have a dozen kids that had experienced a death in their country, and that's why they came, they um, recently immigrated to Los Angeles. And I expect we'll see a lot of those this school year. Yes. You know, going back to that multicultural piece that you mm-hmm. brought up around Los Angeles being such a melting pot. And so I'm of Asian descent and I worked Mm -hmm. in New Orleans with an Asian community and and how you had mentioned that in my family and in typically I think the Asian culture that people do grieve as a family without opening up Mm -hmm. so much to therapists to teachers to the outside world so when I read that you all have a location in Koreatown I thought that was really awesome and I wondered if you've seen you know that the Asian community be open and you know to grief support and just how that even came about in that community? It's it's such a good question, because, but it's actually, I don't think it's the Asian community that's utilizing that location. We were offered space by, um, in the Karsh Family Social Service Center there. Okay. Um, oh, just yeah. because of, of connections that we had. And, um, we were really happy to be offered the space there because people who live too far east to come to our West Los Angeles Center would have a place to go. Mm-hmm. But I think that those deep, um, you know, deeply rooted cultural beliefs are still preventing um, people from the Asian culture that are embedded in that community from seeking services at that center. It's other people that live close to that area that are coming to those groups. You know, and, and I was raised with the belief system and, and even told that, Lisa, you don't talk about our problems outside of this family. Mm-hmm. And somehow for me, that just didn't resonate because in a closed system, there's only so much information available. And so that was part of me becoming a therapist and a social worker and wanting to, you know, have other influences on how to help solve problems. And because, you know, no one system, I think, alone has all of that information. And so over time, my family's become a bit more open, you know, to to just other people acculturate. Yeah. Families are acculturating, and I think that that's the case, especially with the in the Latino community, mm-hmm. that um, children are allowed to come to our school groups, but we're not serving their grown-ups. The grown-ups themselves are not coming to group, but they are fortunately allowing their children to come to group, and um, and hopefully some of what the the children are getting out of the program, like the the ease that the children are getting, um, just in being able to talk about the death, um, and they are learning how to be um, very empathetic, how to listen and be supportive to one another, and they're also learning coping skills, coping strategies yeah. to use to comfort themselves. 
that some of that we're hoping will trickle up into the older generations and maybe make some of them more open to seeking services for themselves. And we have seen that um, begin to happen, where especially through the CAMP program, uh, where non-English speaking adults in, um, in the, from the Latino community, they'll bring their children to us, we'll do their camp interviews with a, uh, a translator, and the kids will come to camp, and then once their adult sees how much the kids benefit from coming to camp or being in the school group, then they say, oh, well, I'm interested now in being in your Spanish language group. And some of them have joined after their kids have gone through the program. And we haven't necessarily seen that so much with the Asian community. I hate to say that um, because we'd like to see that happening as well. Yeah, hopefully over time. But, you know, these are are very, very deeply, you know, rooted cultural, um, you know, prohibitions that need to be overcome. Lauren, we're going to take a quick 60-second commercial break, and I'll bring you right back on. Okay. Indeed, listening is the new reading. With Audible, you can listen to an unlimited amount of books at home, in your car, at the gym, anywhere on the go. With over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from, for you, the listener of all things therapy, Audible is offering you a free audiobook download and a month-long subscription for you to try them out. Visit audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy now and enjoy. Do you want to help yourself and friends find a purpose in life? Then you are in the right place and be a part of the crowdfunding campaign of patreon.com forward slash all things therapy with Lisa Tahir as she initiates a one-on-one interaction with inspiring authors, healing experts, and spiritual directors. Join the League of Heroes of this generation by contributing your quota between a dollar up to a hundred dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. Let's make the world free of suicide, poverty, depression, and in all, make the world a better place for everyone. Welcome back. I am with Lauren Schneider of Our House Grief Support Center here in Los Angeles. So Lauren, again, for our listeners, grief, grief itself is a natural set of reactions when someone dies, often involving intense sadness, anger, depression, and even to spend a moment talking about the stages of grief that I think most of us are familiar with. Can you can you share a bit of that with us? Okay, sure. Um, I think, like you said, most people are aware of the stages. You're referring to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of death and dying. Um, that's a a model um, that of um, that people have used to understand um, grief that actually isn't what people in the bereavement field use okay. um, as a theoretical basis um, okay. at our house and at most of the grief programs that that I'm acquainted with across the country, we use another model as the basis for our interventions. If you'd like, I can tell you about that. Yeah, I'd love to hear about that. Okay. um, There's a model called the um, Four Tasks of Mourning 
that was um, authored by a man, a psychologist out of Harvard named J. William Warden. And the difference between that model and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's model is that it's a nonlinear model. Mm-hmm. Um, Elizabeth's model um, is people misunderstand it and they think that it's a linear process that people go through stages in the same order and that when you and that you go through them and you reach an end point and then you're done and that's not how how grief is grief is different it's unique for each human being and um and that people once they're grieving they're pretty much always going to be grieving that and reworking those what she called stages but it's not a linear process and it is unique for each person. The task model just describes tasks that people work on as they mourn for for however long it takes. It's not a closed-ended process and they the tasks are not done in any particular order. So so when that when that task model came out um it was really a it was really embraced because it 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 fit this idea that grief is unique for each person and and not a linear process i i like that and i know before we came live on the show with our with our audience together that i was sharing with you that in 2017 i was able to speak with author and teacher david kessler who reinterpreted Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of death and dying and applied them to grief and the grieving process and how it is a circular, cyclical process that grief Uh is a river and it's open-ended and we cycle through those stages at our own rate and our own way, that it is not a fixed model or experience. And he really focuses on just being with that river of your own grief as you experiencing it, remembering that love never dies. And he has a book coming out articulating a sixth stage of finding meaning. So I'm really excited to um, just I love his work. His his website is grief.com and he offers a lot of, of how, like you're saying, in this other model of the four tasks, tasks of mourning, that certainly a person's grief is not a fixed stage that then is somehow yeah. over at some point. Oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. even, you know, a person can hear a song, can go to the beach, and we're constantly remembering loved ones that either we're not in connection with because somehow we're separated, but they're still alive. And and how much more powerfully so when a death happens, that any little thing could be a trigger. And some people, you know, can't find it hard to move beyond the triggers to re-engage with life. So I like that you all have this kind of like peer-based support group system that a person can just go and be and create a community in their community is what I'm hearing about our house. Right, that we really encourage that for people to form a community outside of the support group and and for that to continue once their support group ends. Because that's what then can be lifelong, you know, and and really form those connections in a way that they are honoring themselves and their deceased loved one. 
Right. And this is our 25th year. We're celebrating our, our big 25th anniversary with a gala next month. And when our founder, Joanne Lautman, started our house, she was focused first on the on young families because a young person, like a 32-year-old person whose spouse suddenly dies and leaves her with two children, you know, let's say age four and seven, they don't have a community. They don't have best friends who are also widowed with small children, you know, because that is such an unusual event for a young person to have happen. So our first groups were for young people like that who are suddenly left alone with their small children. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we kept adding all these other types of groups based on the need in the community. But um, that was like the first thing that she recognized was that that need to have, you know, to, to establish a new set, a new support system for yourself based around this commonality of of that shared grief. Yes. So this is a really exciting year for us because it was both the 25th anniversary of our house and the 10-year anniversary of us doing camp. Oh, that's a big deal this year. Yeah, it really is. It's very exciting. So what is the gala? I, I believe it's October 6th. Is that correct? Is yes. That, uh-huh. How can people get tickets? What does it entail? Tell us about all about that. Well, the tickets are available on our website. Um, You can see uh, who all of our guests were honoring. um, We're honoring different people. One of, we have a special award that we always give, um, which is one of them is called the Hug Award, which is helping understand grief. We're giving to the, um, the people that bring This Is Us, this program, This Is Us, it's, because they they deal in such a really lovely way with the subject of death and mm-hmm. and and mourning on that show and so we're honoring that show um we have uh great people emceeing that are also people that are very outspoken about their own grief Melissa Rivers and um and Pat Oswald are our guest hosting the event and there's just so many people the list is really long and I know I'm going to leave out people because I don't have it in front of me but um, if anyone's interested you can see on our website ourhouse-grief.org ourhouse-grief.org and Lauren you you and I were also speaking right before we came live that both of us just within the last hour had had heard about the passing of Burt Reynolds and um, right. since I'm on a show with a grief expert, just when, when there's a, gr- a loss that happens, a death that happens that affects us as a culture, as a society, um, I-, I think also we might revisit our own personal losses in, in light of that information. Would you? Yeah. And in that particular way of finding out about death, I think is especially hard for children. Mm. I just been thinking about that a lot lately, how it um, um, when kids find out about death, like through social media, yeah. um, they're sometimes finding about the death of a peer through their social media. 
rather than hearing about it in the safety of their home from from their grown-ups or it's being told to them in a gentle, age-appropriate way, it can really be very, very stressful for kids. I mean, it's it's shocking enough for us as adults, like when we hear about a death of someone that we care about a lot. Like for me, hearing about Anthony Bourdain's oh. death, that that was yeah. really, really hard for me because yeah, I was a huge fan yeah. of his. But we're adults and we can cope with intense emotion much better than a small child can. Mm-hmm. And I worry a lot about kids learning about the death of a peer through social media. And in fact, that's being recognized now as one of the factors that's contributing to this kind of um, upsurge in um, suicide attempts in younger children is the stress of them finding out about things through social media. Absolutely. It's changing the way that we receive information, and it's, it's jarring. I've learned about the suicide of people that I know and through Facebook and and it's so mm-hmm. it's so shocking like you said for an adult much less for a child that doesn't have all the higher brain functioning um and and articulation to be able to reach out and and ask questions and such so I think we really need to be mindful of our children and helping them yeah. through their grief yeah and it can be many hours before um, well, where a child is isolated, like home alone after school before um, their caregiver can come home and be with them. You know, there can be big, big periods of time um, where they're left alone with that kind of news. And and it, it is it is extremely stressful for them. And so, I don't know, that, that was the first thing I thought of when I saw that Burt Reynolds yeah. announcement this afternoon. You know, I was wondering, Lauren, just thinking about how you told me that you've been in this field uh, for over, where's my note, over 20 years as an as a clinical social worker. And I wondered, mm-hmm. and in the Los Angeles area, I wondered if there's any trends that you've seen since you've practiced here that from when you started to now that, that are significant to you or, or not, maybe not. You know, we take two steps forward and one step back. Like when I first um, started there, there was a lot. I think death was even more in the closet than it is now, like in um, in the media. Um, the representation of death in TV shows was much more abstract and unrealistic. Um, and in movies, like they would show a grieving, a grief related event and then like the next week they wouldn't even refer to it again and you know versus now where you have a show like this is us where they would devote many episodes and you know in flashbacks and and um you know storyline to that topic you know so and in movies where it's handled in a much more realistic way so in that regard um you know as a movie fan i think there is definitely much more realistic treatment in the media but on the other hand you know when i first started working at our house it was 2000 and i was here right before 911 and at that time there was another 
another grief support center besides our house. And, you know, during the years since then, that grief support center has closed. You know, we're still here, thankfully. We're serving way more people than we were 10 years ago. And we just luckily have continued to expand our outreach into the community thanks to our volunteers and, you know, and supporters. But other programs are shutting down and fundings are being cut. And, you know, we're not, you know, we're going backwards in in that regard. And, you know, I just, you know, I'm just very, very thankful that we're, that we are able to keep reaching out and serving more kids and, you know, and, and more adults. But, but in a city this large, you know, it's there's a lot of need. It's it's, it's tragic when a program shuts yes. down because they lose their funding. So, so, like I said, it's like two steps forward, one step back. Right. So, Lauren, lastly, for our listeners to know how to reach out and find out more information, it's ourhouse-grief.org. Your big gala is October 6th, and tickets are available online through that website. Is there anything else that you'd like to leave us with before we conclude today? Well, I just want to encourage people to reach out to us if they need support. We have people available, you know, to to take phone calls um, from from grievers. We also have a lot of resources on our website, really, really helpful things, reading materials, um, various handouts that that cover things that could provide a lot of reassurance to someone um, where they could see that they have things in common with other grievers by reading our handouts and books that we offer that can be ordered right from our website. So um, I do encourage people to check out the resources on the website. And thank you so much for for taking the time to cover this important topic. You're welcome. Thank you so much for being my guest, Lauren. Okay, Lisa. I'll talk to you later. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That concludes my show today with Lauren Schneider of Our House Grief Support Center here in Los Angeles. Please tune in next week at the same time as I bring you another guest. And if you haven't, check out audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy to get an audiobook download of your choice. And if you have enjoyed what I have been putting out here for two and a half years, please consider supporting me through the crowdfunding campaign that I have with Patreon. They're a fantastic platform for other podcasters like me, many artists, writers. It's a super cool site. It's patreon.com. And my personal page is patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. I hope you have a great week. Thank you. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir, only on LA Talk Radio.